Hey, Peter. Yo. We're going to do something we haven't done in a while. We're going to change it up. We're going to start a new feature. What? Are we getting rid of our previous Wednesday feature that we forgot about? I, what Wednesday feature was that? <laughs> yeah. Well, this is what I'm talking about. I'm Adam Manis. I'm Peter Martin. And you listen to the You'll Hear podcast. Music advice, inspiration, and glorious new features coming at you. Coming at you today. Sponsored by Open Studio. Go to openstudiojazz.com for all of your jazz lesson needs. Yeah, so we are notoriously terrible, Peter, at starting new features and then just abandoning them. But this isn't a new feature. Some of them, to be fair, some of them were worthy of abandonment. Like the like a bad child that you leave. Oh no, the you dope can't, you can't do that. The dope dualness of <laughs> dual dope duality, non non duality dopeness. We we might need to revisit that. Did we give it a chance? We did it once. Does it does it deserve a second chance? <laughs> well, we got you know what it was. We got confused as to what it was. So how how can we expect our dear listeners to understand it if we don't understand? Yeah, we really. It was so clear in the moment though. Remember that Wednesday. You and I were sitting here in the podcast, and you, we said, uh, "You said, yeah." To be clear, it was your idea. Okay. So if you're, if you want to abandon it, we can. But, but we have to fix that for you right now. Please, come on, Harry. <laughs> we're gonna abandon it. Uh, so we're no, abandon this. Right today now. we're gonna do something not new because this isn't really a new feature. We're just gonna listen to some speak pipes. We've got three speak pipes. How about we call this Speak Pipe Wednesdays? I love it. Okay. New feature, Speak Pipe Wednesday. We've been taking more speak pipes, which are voice messages. Really, just go to you'llhearit.com and leave us a message. And we've got three really good ones lined up. And so I thought, man, we could just... eight six seven five three oh nine. That is not the number to call. Eight, Do six, not call seven. that number. Uh, but I think we could just play these. I'll play it and tell you what it is later. No, Miles, we're going to play it and we're going to talk about each one. We've got three of them lined up. And I thought we could just knock these out. You I think? think you missed the spirit of what Miles was saying in that quote. <laughs> I missed the spirit of a lot of things in the course of my lifetime, my friend. But okay. it doesn't detract from Rob's question. Peter and Adam, my two favorite podcasters, how are we doing? This is Rob calling in from Warwickshire, England. Uh, I just had a question about the real book. Dun, dun. Um, essentially, I've been learning everything by ear on your advice, whenever I want to learn a standard. But then when I've been going to jam sessions recently, they're all sitting there with sheet music out with the real book. And um, when I come to, to solo, it's my turn to sort of, you know, take the lead or whatever. I'm finding it so difficult to sit there and look at, you know, 40-odd chord symbols and solo over the top of that, you know, not really knowing the tune. And I was wondering if you guys had any advice for maybe simplifying when you're looking at sheet music, you know, when you're sight reading something, um, and how you'd approach that, you know, not just comping, but actually taking a solo over a song that you've never heard before. Thanks, guys. Love the show. Yeah, thank you, Rob. Uh, great question. I don't know, Peter, what do you think? Well, I think, um, yeah, thanks for the question. And so maybe we should give a little bit more nuanced explanation in terms of we're not totally binary, like learn everything by ear and don't learn how to read music. Wait, and, I thought that's exactly what we were. No, we, we, we have been known to be a little bit anti-real book, but not because just, it, it, well, because there's a lot of inaccuracies. That's probably the the biggest thing. So, yeah. so we, we've talked about a couple of things. You know, Also, it's just great to listen to music and learn it by that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, But there is a way to be able to read music and still be able to do that when you need to. It's just not using that as the as the primary source. So if, if if you listen to a tune and you're trying to learn it, especially if it's something that you think you might do at a jam session, try to learn it by ear. If you need to supplement that with a with music, that's fine. But 
if you're using the real book because there are some known inaccuracies and look i know there's a lot of versions out there now for all i know i never look at it so maybe they fixed them all maybe it's this brilliant reference material which is great you know good on them but either way you want to kind of verify for yourself not only not so you can be one of these you know turds that's like ah this is what the original changes were not like like we like to do but because you want to be able to develop your ear yeah. and sometimes being able to identify like oh okay i know the tune now at least i think i know it mm -hmm. now i'm going to look at the chart or maybe you had to look at the chart the real book while you're learning because you got stumped but then you can start to kind of be a little bit discerning in terms of your viewing of that chart and not just take it as the holy bible like okay i'm going to believe whatever this says blindly you might you know, see something like, I don't think that's what it is. And then you have to go back and listen and check. Oh, okay. That was right. Hey, bingo. You just, you know, developed your ears. Some, you just, that's how you get better. So the idea is not that you have to totally avoid it, but you can use this you know, learning by ear, but then also work on your sight reading, work on learning some tunes from the chart or at least your sight reading. So when you go to a jam session, cause I assume Rob's talking about, he goes in, it's a tune he doesn't know. And he's yeah. like, uh Oh, all my tunes I learned by ear. Yeah. I could just do, even if they're looking at the charts, what do I do now? You still gotta be able to read music. I mean, that's, that's an important thing. Unless it's a great you're so great and you've got your own band and you're never going to jam session and you're a genius and you don't have to read music. Yeah. I, yeah, I totally agree. And I would say, Rob, you know, a skill that you might think about developing and you could practice this on your own, but I've certainly used this in jam sessions. Everybody breaks out a real book or it's a tune that I don't really know. And it's also not a tune that I like have even heard a lot. You know, I mean, I went to a jam session at Bob's Bob's jam session and someone called, what was it? And I really was like, oh my gosh, I've never even really heard this tune. And it oh. wasn't easy. Like it right, was like right. kind of tricky. I forget what it was. Obviously, I don't Tricitism. know it, but I had to like someone had a real book out and I had to like sneak a peek. And yeah. but here's the thing, Rob, if you can kind of sneak a peek at a real book or if you have one in front of you, see if you can take a little bit of a snapshot and ah, see if you can get your head like out of the out of the changes as quickly right. as possible. Even if that's just like, OK, well, I know that it starts with a one, six, two, five. or I know the ending cadence is just a two, five, one for four bars. Right. Like get in that section when it comes around. Get out of the get out of the music. The faster yeah. that you get your head out of just reading changes, yeah. the more it becomes like you're playing to the moment and you're not just reading and trying to figure out what to do with the next chord as it's coming. The other thing you might try is do what like you know the best sight readers in the world are Broadway. Pianists. Oh my goodness, they're so Absolutely. good at it, man. These guys they can read the reduced score. Oh my and gosh, they can do these. These musicians can sit into like hours of rehearsals and just reading new t new. I mean, pieces they probably played somewhat before, yeah. but just new music every time and they're just sight reading and one of the keys to that is to stay a little bit ahead of where everybody is rob so you might be reading a bar or two in front of what's happening as you're playing and that yes. just helps you honestly memorize it even faster so you could also go one more way to do this is to say like you know what i don't know this tune and i'm i don't want to know it <laughs> no i don't know it and i'm not going to use the real book i'm going to hear my way through it Kind of going on strike a little bit there. It's the scariest. It's a little bit of way. a labor action. It's, well, it's scary. I mean, you can still play. Yeah. But you're gonna, you might play some wrong notes. You might play some wrong chords. Well, if you play wrong, you're just like, ah, oh, I don't like this song anyway. So that's you know, right. You <laughs> I actually, I was just researching uh, Russ Freeman, who was a, he's an awesome pianist. He played with everybody from Charlie Parker, mostly known for Chet Baker. Uh, all of that Chet Baker thing stuff. Yeah. He's a really good accompanist. Yep. Knows a, a lot of tunes. And he had a quote about Chet, Chet Baker. Chet Baker didn't know any changes. He didn't know the <laughs> chord changes. He was like, wow. he knew the melodies. And he would just like, what what is this? What key does this start in? E flat? And then he would just, or what's the first note of the melody? Right. And well, then that he would sense. just. He's a trumpet player. So of no, but he could just improvise some pretty killing solos hey, <laughs> around that. You know what yep. I'm saying? So 
you could just do the Chet Baker method and just yeah. try to hear your way through it. And it'd be a great way to work on your ears, actually. Well, actually, yeah, totally agree. Because actually, trumpet players, I, I, I joke because I love them. They, a lot of non pianists or bass players or guitarists that like we feel like we really do, and we usually really do know the changes and feel like we have to hold that together. But sometimes, like, other players that can kind of come in and out, like they've developed their ears better because yeah. they don't have that. They're not relying feeling, on like them. I got to know every single chord. I can actually right. just hear something over this. Can hear what it, what it sounds like would sound good over this. And a lot of times you play better music. I know, <laughs> honestly. I know. So yeah. a little bit of that mentality yeah. for pianists would be good. And like what you said, get your head out of the pages. Get get your head up in the clouds like the trumpet players are. Yeah, man. They ain't worried about no changes. They don't care about the changes. <laughs> Uh, so thank you, Rob. Great question. Okay, we've got another question here, also from the UK. This is Ali. Hmm. Hi, Adam and Peter. It's Ali here. I'm in the UK, and I'm a frequent DGPSer with Adam's amazing teaching. Um, so this is my question. Having learned a new concept, um, mostly right hand, maybe a lick or a scale pattern or something in my right hand um, that's going to help my improv, and I usually take, try and take it around the 12 keys to get it a bit more under my hand. But then my teachers tell me the next stage is to apply it to a tune. And this is where I get really stuck. And it just seems crazy. I just really struggle to, to get my new idea, my newly learned idea, into a tune. And I just wondered if you had any tips or ideas or approach I can use um, to try this out. So, yeah, hope you can get to my reply and looking forward to hearing it. Thanks so much. Uh, thank you, Ali. Yeah, so Ali is a, a DGPSer. I see Ali almost every day. She's yeah. great. UK's uh, always, coming strong today on the speak pipe. UK always comes strong, buddy. Yeah. Uh, we got some, some great listeners over there in the UK. So yep. thank you, Ali, for the question. And, and actually, Ali emailed me about this. And uh, I, I got back to you uh, with what I'll say now again just for, for everybody to hear, which is, first of all, you're not alone in this. Yeah. This is very common with everybody, even up to the highest level yeah. of how do I like, how do I get what I'm working on when I get to the bandstand? Yeah. Right. It's because uh, what happens, and I think uh, this is Ali's point, like Ali's even taken it through 12 keys, which is amazing. Yeah. And then you go to play it and it feels unnatural. And it feels like you're starting to force something in there. You know, you're jamming uh, a square peg in a round hole, right? It mm. just doesn't feel right. And that's totally natural. And so, like, my answer, Ali, is, is maybe Wait, don't... Ja jamming a square into a, a peg into a round hole is totally natural? No, it's totally natural for it to feel like that. Okay. Yeah, it. for it to feel Ooh, weird. No, I was yeah. confused. No, no, no. <laughs> I was like, I've for, been using that phrase wrong all these years. It's totally natural for that, to for the feeling of trying to yeah. put in some new bit, bit of language. And so, you know, my thing is, is, like, you can't force these things in because yeah. they're always going to sound forced. So if it starts to come out in your playing, it starts to come out in your playing. Yeah. Like and, and by playing, I mean like when you're performing for your teacher or at a gig or wherever that is. And if not, it's just not ready. It's just not there. You just don't have it fully where you need to be. Like you're not hearing it when you speak it. You might yes. try singing it, Allie, like trying to take a Ooh, song I like solo. That. I love that. And seeing if you can sing the concept. That's great because that yeah. can activate another type of hearing and, and interaction. Like I think the foundation of this is like learning the musical skills that we need and the development that we need as we're learning to be an improviser is not linear yeah. and the different aspects of our development that are necessary. They, they may seem like they're moving in a linear pattern, but they're not moving together all the time. Like faders going up like, and we can't control them in those ways. We can control some of the inputs to that 
and it sounds like Ali's doing that, like practice them in different keys, yeah. you know, go through them slowly, listen to them. In different, so like, these are the inputs, but in terms of like how that is output and that is the output is how it comes out in your playing. We don't have a huge amount of control of that, the timing of that. But if you trust the process and move on to the next thing, but still come back and review it and let that, that line or that phrase, whatever it is, percolate, it will eventually come out. So it requires patience, but it also requires faith in the process and knowing that these very deep seated um, kind of, you know, ear training based exercises, what, what, which is really what this is yeah. in, in essence, yeah. don't happen overnight. But that the great thing about that is they can stay with you for a long time. So it's like something that you learn on a very deep and intuitive level is going to take longer to get to like voc like true vocabulary development. When you learn a language is a very slow and arduous process. Absolutely. I've been trying to use the word arduous my whole life. I'm 51. I look, I just used it. Finally, came finally out. it came through finally because I happened. didn't give up on it. You, you know? got to <laughs> keep going with it. But, but when you try to throw that stuff in early, you know, so there's nothing wrong with trying. Well, and also I'll say this, it, you know, even if you are working on a concept or a bit of language and you take it through all 12 keys and it never, ever comes through in your playing, that wasn't a waste of time. Wow. That still helped you to become a better musician. It prepped you for something that maybe you have a better handle on now. Whatever you did in that time, it's not for naught just because it doesn't come through in your improvise. Right. That's you know? right. Great cool. stuff. Allie, awesome question. One so our more third here. question, man, this, these are two great questions. We're setting the bar high. I hope this isn't a bummer. So this is from Kern. Come on, Kern. Bring, bring the fire. Hi. I just want to say I enjoy listening to your podcast. And I have a question. I know there's been a few episodes where you've mentioned how to mark form. I'm wondering for us relatively new jazz musicians, if you can go into detail, what does that exactly mean? That'd be great. Thank you. Thanks, Kern. So when I say uh, marking the form, we're usually, we talk a lot about it with our, our favorite drummers. Like yeah. I, for me, man, like like playing with really great straight ahead drummers or listening to someone who we're going to listen to on Friday's show, spoiler alert, uh, Kenny Washington, mm. someone who is amazing at, when I say marking the form, I mean, as an as a listener and then as a player with that drummer or any musician, honestly, there's never any doubt where the form is. We're not trying to fool our audience. We are actually making it super clear. Here we are, we're coming to the top of the form. There are things that pianists can do to sort of indicate that. There are things that just naturally, honestly, just naturally happen, Kern. It's not like we're like, and now we're coming to the form. Right, but warning, just, warning. Warning, yeah. Around the next turn. But, and then once you have established like how to build tension and release tension around whatever form you're playing, then you can start messing with your audience's expectations. Yeah. So uh, that's how I think about it, about marking the form. Like, Peter, I wonder if we could just play really quick, just a couple, let's play two choruses of rhythm changes and a like okay. nice medium tempo. Okay. And I want you to play a bass line and we'll, we'll just do a bass line. Like you play the bass line, I'm gonna comp. Okay. Okay, I'll play some chords and Kern, I want you to listen to, we're just going to have a conversation. I'm not even going to put anything on you, Peter. I'm not going to talk about it, but just notice what happens at the beginnings and endings of each section. Okay. One, two, one, two, three, and...
right. So, Kern, we didn't talk about what we were going to do. We just kind of started off on a medium did I do tempo. What I was supposed to do? You, we both okay. did what, exactly Woo. what we were supposed to do. I didn't know what we were doing. We were listening, but you might have noticed there was, but like, right every, every eight bars or so, at the end of one eight-bar phrase and at the beginning of the next, and you can go back and listen to this, but I'm pretty sure almost everyone, without really thinking about it, we added, we started stretching, adding some tension, and then releasing that tension sort of over the eight bars or being very direct of like, we would like kind of go off on some, you know, some rhythmic tangents and then bam, we yeah. put it straight back down in the middle right at the beginning of a section. Now, it's not like we were both like, time to put it at the beginning of a section but we wanted to let each other know as we were sort of going down these side paths all right here's where we are here's where we're going letting letting each each other know like and we're back to here and we're here now once you start to establish that now you can start messing with it and not being so obvious with it but for me the best batteries of drums and bass players and best rhythm sections with pianists and guitarists are very very good at marking not just like the literally like the sections of forms, but the big events that are happening within the solo, the big events that are happening within the performance. Now we're on a different, you know, we went, just went from the tenor solo to the trumpet solo. Usually a rhythm section will change the vibe yeah. between those two things. And that's what I mean when, when I mean marking the form. Yep, I, I totally agree. The only thing I would add is that, you know, you'll hear the term used, I think in two general ways, there's, you know, marking the form for the other players that you're playing with. Um, and that's what where you kind of started out talking about the drummer. A lot of times they're, uh, you know, kind of most attuned to that role. I mean, it's everybody's responsibility. I never like these situations where it's like, oh, oh the drummer is supposed to keep it together. You we're know? two nerdy pianists and we just did it. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But even if, yeah, even if you're in a situation where there is a drummer, it should never default to. Now, having said that, I think it's a skill and a mark of great drummers that they have not really so much, yeah, an ability to mark form, but just an ability to um, innately and intuitively understand and appreciate and delineate the form yeah. for that for the other musicians, which a part of that is marking it. But there's, you know, just the kind of shared thing. Um, but then there's the marking of the form for the listener, yeah. which is probably more important because everything that we're doing is for the listener and for like the, the, the combined creation of the artists that are playing it, whether it's two pianists playing on keyboards in a podcast or an orchestra or a trio, yeah, whatever it is. And so, you know, it's like with classical music, the foundation, you know, the form, the foundation of the form and the, really the actual form is laid out, but the musicians still need to mark it yeah. to, you know, explain it to the listener, but they don't have like the heavy lifting's kind of been done if it's a great composition. Absolutely. Even lean on the lean on the composition. Lean on the composition. But you do have to bring that out and mark it a little bit by like I mean the simplest thing is like don't run the movements right into each other. Yeah. You know, don't finish the first movement and then to go directly into the second movement. Right. Have a little but break there. Have a little break, but not too long because now you've mismarked. But you can use the natural, like you said, you can use the natural flow of the form of the composition yeah. to actually do all the heavy lifting for you. Right. Like, so we've been doing in the DGPS, Pete, uh, this exercise that I'm calling 6-2. Yeah. So let's, let's do another thing of, of rhythm changes. I'll play a solo this time. You play some bass if you don't mind? Okay. Just one more chord. I'll just keep playing the final. I'll just keep, yeah. yeah I got it, sorry, I got, I got no. a thoroughbred here playing the bass. <laughs> but I, wanna, I just want to show you. So this will be, I'm gonna, we're going to do one, just one chorus through. I'm going to do six bars of very simple, very space, very m melodic playing. Space the, is the place. The last two bars of the form 
of these rhythm changes, there's natural tension built in. And okay. just like what, what we were creating when we were just comping, there's tension between the last two bars and then co spilling over into the one of the next section. Yeah. I'm gonna, in those last two bars, I'm gonna play more busy, I'm gonna play outside or whatever. I'm just gonna add more tension to the line. So okay. the first six bars, super simple, diatonic, melodic, and then the last two bars is what we use in the form to create tension. Okay. Let's try it. One, two, one, two, three, and. So there, just a little bit of rhythmic tension each time. Long notes for the first six bars, uh, and then a busier, more tense two bars in between. Like it sounds formulaic because when you practice it that way, it is. But it's a great way to sort of demonstrate like we can use that natural bit of the form to create the tension and relieve it. So that's part of of the marking the form. Awesome stuff. Thank you guys for the questions. Now, would that be something you might be interested in? Yes. Yes. You know what else would be something I'd be interested in? What? More speak pipes. Yeah, send Keep us this one. That's right. We're, we're, we're actually, thank you guys. We're getting a little, we're not behind. We've got some stacked up, but we could always use more. Yeah. And, you know, to, full disclosure, we, we don't get to all of them, but that's okay. So please keep them coming. And just know when you go to you'llhearit.com and you leave us a speak pipe, don't be nervous because you can redo them before you submit them. Yeah. So it's all good. Great stuff, man. Well, until next time. You'll hear it. <laughs>